This is the EPFR Exchange Podcast. All opinions expressed by Cam, Todd, and our podcast guests are solely of their own opinion and do not reflect the opinion of EPFR or Informa, its parent company. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the EPFR Exchange Podcast. My name is Kirsten Longbottom, and we are joined by EPFR's resident economist, Cameron Brandt. We'll walk you through what our teams were monitoring in the last week and what we look forward in the upcoming week as well. Cam, how has your week been this week? Well, um, I have actually started to test negative for COVID, which is a relief, except that now uh, the head of our quant team has come down with it in London. So it seems there is no, no escape. But Trickling. Yeah. 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 Um, um, but that's definitely an improvement on where I was <laughs> the week before. Yes, definitely. And you sound much better. So that's good. Um, So many of the same headwinds remained in the third week of April. Uh, We had first quarter earnings season um, highlighting the tech sector this week. The rise of U.S. mortgage rates kind of showed no sign of slowing down. Um, And the war is now in its third month, um, which is kind of shocking. Where did investors go in the market that had a bit of a more of a positive outlook. There was one area that uh, we definitely saw uh, more than usual activity and more positive activity, and that was among the sector fund groups. Nine of the 11 major groups that we <coughs> track had uh, you know, decent to pretty good inflows. Um, and it seems that in that space, uh, you know, investors still feel that they can uh, assess things, uh, and to a surprising degree, their assessments are sort of coming up positive. Um, uh, interesting because it was certainly, or certainly has been, a mixed uh, start to the earnings season. I mean, last week you had the uh, highs of Tesla uh, knocking uh, profits out of the park. Uh, and then you had the lows of Netflix seeing almost a third of its market cap disappear in the blink when it uh, actually lost subscribers. Um, so, uh, you know, there was certainly uh, stars heading in both directions if you wanted to hitch your wagon to them. Um, but for the most part, the 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 tech the um, sector flows showed an undercurrent of optimism. Um, I th- you know a sense that uh, uh, many of the stocks there may have been a bit oversold. That was especially true, I think, in the real estate uh, and consumer goods sector funds. Um, you know, yes, uh, higher interest rates are not good uh, for some aspects of real estate. Um, but on the other hand, I think uh, I think investors know that uh, uh, the first signs of any real stress, uh, and this is true not just in the U.S., but in most countries in the world, including China, uh, governments will <laughs> uh, respond Uh both democratic and authoritarian ones in market systems uh, do not like uh, people to feel that their real estate investments are um, anything less than sound. Right. And would 
Um, I'm just curious, would the U.S. mortgage rates rising, would that have any impact on the real estate sector? It depends how far they rise. At the current level, uh, yes, it will deter some people from getting into the market. But tight supply and rising prices were you know, already doing that. Um, and there's a you know an equal and opposite reaction to most of these things. <clears throat> um, you know, I think there's a, a feeling that uh, as long as uh, as uh, mortgage rates don't blow out completely, those being a little higher might actually provide a modest cap on house price appreciation, so that uh, more creditworthy buyers might actually have a, a shot at getting on what they call the housing ladder over in the UK. Interesting. So for emerging markets this week, um, you briefly kind of touched on China, um, and we saw this week a pattern a pattern reemerge um, that we saw in the second half of last year, and then in January of this year as well. Are investors overlooking any underperformance of the country's equity market or any underlying issues in China? Well, there's certainly some some fairly serious. Uh, issues that uh, confront the Chinese economy at the moment, uh, not least the fact that holding the line on a zero COVID po- policy uh, when uh, COVID has mutated into the much more um, easily caught om- Omicron variant um, means you risked shutting down fairly large chunks uh, of the economy at various points, and that indeed is happening in Shanghai. But as we've remarked in in a number of uh, these podcasts, um, we've seen really since the third quarter of last year that uh, certainly in a mutual fund sense, um, China has become uh, a focal point for institutional rather than retail investors. And, you know, at least in theory, institutional investors are able to look past a certain amount of noise, are are less likely to be spooked, uh, are a little (coughs) more willing to follow the dictum of, you know, uh, uh, buying when everyone's scared and selling when everyone's whooping and cheering. Um, And that seems to be happening. Uh, There's definitely a feeling, and and this was very evident at the end of last year, um, that uh, given the significance of the Communist Party Congress at the end of the year, um, policymakers in China will do everything they possibly can to uh, support at least moderate, stable growth. So, uh, the fact that stocks have underperformed uh, just means <laughs> that they're likely to go up more when uh, policymakers there find the right <laughs> formula of extra accommodation uh, to to get things back on track. You know, it's not not to say that uh, you know COVID is a, a major wild card, uh, and the property sector is still definitely under strain. But uh, I think certainly institutional investors have faith that the Chinese government can and will um, brighten the overall picture in the coming months. So, in the U.S., where maybe COVID is being start starting to you know take on that that view where, you know, 
no masks are required on airplanes anymore. Um, so for the U.S., the focus I feel like has not only been on COVID or earnings season, which is now in its second week, but perhaps more influential is the expectation of a 50 basis point increase. And now at I've heard some talk of even a 75 basis point increase, and I was wondering how likely you think this would be come June or July. I I don't think it's impossible. Uh, I think uh, that uh, (laughs) given the sort of the uh, post-Great Financial Crisis history of the Federal Reserve, uh, it's a little unlikely. Uh, I think I personally think they're more likely to try a 50 basis point hike um, and see how the market reacts and back that up with another 50 basis points hike uh, at their June meeting. Um, But I could uh, easily be uh, moved from that opinion if uh, uh, the inflation number for this month continues to march towards 9%. Um, you know, there, it's, there's certainly a credibility problem here that the Fed has to address. You know, I, again, as we've mentioned frequently, anyone looking at our inflation-protected bond fund flow data would have realized well ahead of the Fed's pivot that a pretty large section of the investing public didn't believe that inflation was transitory. And... Uh, you know, it's not an easy thing to get a, a fix on. Um, there's, you know, a lot of intelligent analysis that argues that uh, uh, a lot of the elements, at least in the short term, point uh, to a fairly abrupt uh, deceleration of inflation uh, as, this, as the, the post-COVID stimulus wanes, uh, as people spend down the extra cash that they uh, were in some cases forcibly uh, acquired <laughs> while sort of locked down and not spending on stuff. Um, so, you know, it's not hard to make a case for uh, much reduced economic activity and, and people being much more price conscious and, and, and less aggressive in their spending patterns. Um, but on the other hand, um, the sort of breaking down of the uh, globalization that uh, we've seen for the past 30, 40 years, um, the kinks that are still far from ironed out in the global supply chains, um, the uh, uncertainty surrounding Russia's ability to export uh, widely used commodities and energy uh, around the globe, Um, all of those uh, are likely to keep pressure on prices. Um, And it's also possible, too, that we might see one last real rush as as people try and and, uh, acquire things they want to while they're still affordable. Um, so things could go either way, but, you know, my sense is that, uh, the Fed will do 50, which it's been quite a while since they've, uh, raised rates that much at a policy meeting. Um, but I think 75%, uh, 
you know, who could leave them with egg on their their faces if uh, you know that that was the thing that sort of stopped growth in its tracks. Well, great that that was very interesting. So thank you, um, and I look forward to speaking with you next week. Yeah, yeah. Ho- hopefully, you'll stay COVID free too. <laughs> hopefully, <Yeah. laughs> we'll <Good>. see. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the EPFR Exchange podcast. For more information or to suggest a topic for a future podcast, please visit epfr.com slash podcast.